Please be seated. Today's scripture is from Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, and I want you to hear it read in the place where it took place. So watch this. Well, here we are on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. This is the sea that Jesus and his followers traversed so many times, um, going back and across from town to town. Um, famously, one time, uh, actually several times, there were storms. One of the times of that is um, they got into the boat, and without warning, a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept up over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And as you can see, as you look around, the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains, which mean that weather can change as cool air comes down over the mountains and warm air rises up from the lake. A storm really can crop up at just a second's notice. And Jesus in this passage shows his disciples that he has power over what they fear most. And they are amazed and it increases their trust in him. I feel like I'm in an Alfred Hitchcock movie. It's not all serious when you're in the Holy Land. There are birds that make you feel like Hitchcock. Um, well, let me begin. Okay, so that was kind of a fun passage, and I always think maybe it shouldn't just be the kids who get to have fun. You want to have some fun? Huh? Play a game? You have to play my game, though, to get this Hershey bar. Here's the game. Geography buffs. Name the five oceans of the world. Raise your hand if you know. Come on, Joni. Uh-huh. And down south? Not the Arctic, but the, yeah. Antarctic. Got it. Good job. <laughs> Man, that was so funny. At the first service, everybody's like, and this one little kid's like, Pacific Indian, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, there you go. Way to go, kid. Yeah, way to go. Okay, so there, those are the oceans of the world. Let me tell you some of the seas. The Baltic, right, the Caribbean, the Adriatic, the Black, the Mediterranean, um, you know the sea that you don't hear ever in a list of seas of the world? It's where we were, the Sea of Galilee. Why not? It's not a sea. It's not. It, it is, um, it's a low place, right? There's a lot of water there, but it's fresh water, and it's surrounded by land. It's inland. What do we call that? A lake, right. It is a lake. And in fact, in modern day Israel, you say, I'm going to the Sea of Galilee. They're like, oh, right, okay, Christian, right? Because it's called Lake Tiberias or Lake um, Gennesaret or um, the Kinneret, okay? So it's called one of those three names. They have three names for things, kind of like Mopac and Juan and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So why in the Bible, because this is important, before we get to what happened, we have to understand what it meant to the people in that boat. Because if we understand what it meant to them, we're going to understand what it means for us, what it meant to them. Why did the ancient people call this the Sea of Galilee? Were they confused? Like you can see the shore from every place on the Sea of Galilee. There's not a place where you're like, this is the vast ocean, right? You're like, there's the land on the other side. So what's going on? 
because they very clearly called it the sea, the same word that they used for the Mediterranean, which you can't see the other side, and it's salty, and it's very different, right? Well, let me tell you. Okay, y'all know the Yupik Indians? You're like, no. Yeah, you do, because you've heard that these Eskimos have 15 separate words for snow. Have y'all heard of that? The Indian group, or the Eskimo group that has 15 separate words for snow. And actually, those are root words, and you can take them and make thousands of words for snow. So they have separate words for drifting snow, clinging snow, rain particle snow, um, snow in an embankment, uh, heavy, deep, new snow, crust of ice over snow, even snow on water. They have a specific word that's unique. Where we would say that snow on water, they have a word for that. Why? They have a lot of snow, right, exactly. So if you have a lot of something, if it's really central to your life, you're going to have a culture that has a lot of words for it. So let's work that back. If you have very few words, and I'm going to tell you the Israelites have two, what does that mean? Not a lot of familiarity with water, right? We know that they live in an arid climate like ours, right? We've talked about that. But that can't really be the excuse, right? Because tell me what that is. Tell me all the words that we have for what's down south by Corpus. What are the words for that? The Gulf, ocean, bay, mire, swamp, inlet, right? Tidal wetlands, right? I mean, we can say we have all these different words. Holding tank, right, for a holding pond. We have a dam. Do you know we have reservoirs? We have all of these words for water, they have two. So there's something deeper than just an unfamiliarity. We can say, okay, they were unfamiliar with it, right? They lived in Egypt. All that was there was desert that sometimes got flooded by the Nile, and so it was fertile. Then they wandered for 20 years in the wilderness. Well, but then they came into the promised land. And the promised land had rivers, and it had lakes, and it bordered the ocean. And so why didn't they come up with some different words to describe all of these things? Like, I live on the bay versus I live on the open shore, right? This is a protected cove. They don't have those words. They have two words. They have the word pool, which means anything that's man-made, that's a body of water that's man-made, and then they have the word sea, which is anything that's natural, which is why the Sea of Galilee, which is clearly a lake, they call a sea. It's the sea, Mediterranean Sea, Sea of Galilee, whatever, right? And this is why. Because not only did they not, were they not familiar with it, they didn't want to be familiar with it. Because to them, deep water was the most terrifying, darkest, most evil thing on the planet. Deep water. They were the only ancient people who didn't traverse the Mediterranean to trade. They didn't have a navy. In ancient Israel, they always held the hills, and they had a hard time taking the coast where the Philistines lived, right? They were the sea people, terrifying, you know, because that's deep water people. And they were terrified of deep water. Here's the thinking. Along the coast, you can put an anchor down and hit the ground. Israelites liked the solid ground. When you got out deeper, you could put your anchor down and it didn't touch the bottom. And to them, they didn't have submarines. They felt like... Where the anchor goes down and it doesn't touch, that is because it is a bottomless hole of darkness and death. Okay? 
So their thinking, and our guide told us this, he's a Jewish person, he said the thinking, especially in ancient, for the ancient Israelis, is that the, to die in the deep water is the worst thing that could happen to you. Because your body would fall into the water and fall for all eternity and never stop. There would never be any rest. So it was the most terrifying death anyone could think of dying. So nobody went into the deep water. They kept to the edges of the Sea of Galilee. And these brave, crazy people called fishermen sometimes would go a little further and then run back over, right? Now, once you know this, that God's people in the Bible are afraid of water, that it's like the ultimate natural evil, it puts the Bible into a lot of perspective. If you look at Genesis 1, God is going to talk to the people about creation. These are not scientific people. God's going to tell these people in their culture, just like Patrick told the Irish people in their culture, this is what I'm doing. And what does God say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. So what was there before there was God? There was deep, dark water. Chaos. And so God hovers over that chaos, that fearful place, and calls out the land. And calls out the safety. The places that the people liked, right? It's God. God says, I put the boundaries on that. It's not going to get you. Okay, so the people are safe. You're safe on the land, right? They may not want to go across the ocean, but they're safe. Now go to the end, um, the last book of the Bible, Revelation. You're going to see how prevalent this worldview is. Revelation chapter 21, John, Jesus' disciple, is seeing a vision of what the new heaven and the new earth will look like. And a lot of times we can read this, we don't get it, we think it's weird. If you just understand the culture, you'll understand how this sounded to them. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. You, do you get how that would have sounded to them? We're like, what? The earth is 70% water. John sees a vision of a world where there is no fear, where there's no darkness, where there's nothing to terrify you, where now the water that gives you life comes from, you read on, the throne of God in a river, not a terrifying sea, right? So in the new heaven and the new earth, the sea is gone. You read in the Psalms that a lot of times the Psalms are talking about the power of God, and they say God is the storm rider. God is more powerful than the ocean. Isaiah says God tramples the waves, right? Job says God marches on the waters. Well, what they're saying is God is more powerful than the thing we fear the most. You get it? God is more powerful than this thing that terrifies us. So does it, is it any wonder that when God rescues the people from Egypt, not only is there deliverance from the most mighty military and political force of the day, but then to get the people to safety, God rips apart the ocean and sends them through. It's like, remember this, right? This moment, remember that I can get you through what you fear the most on dry ground, which you love. So now come back to where we are with the disciples. Okay, and I, I read to you from Matthew on the boat in Galilee, and I want to look at, if you're just interested where I am, I'm in Mark chapter 4. What happens is they've had a full day of ministry. It's night. Now, if the Jewish people had to pick between night and day, what would they pick? Day, right. 
day, say for time. So it's night, and Jesus says, let's get into, the, into a boat and cross to the other side of the lake. What does that mean? Let's go traverse the bottomless abyss at night, right? Great idea. And where are they going? They're not going home. Let's do that to go home. He says, let's go to that other side. The other side is code. It means the scary side. It means the pagan side, the side where when they get there, demoniacs run at them. People who break out of their chains who are totally insane. It's the side where good Jewish people never go. And Jesus is like, it's night. Let's cross the bottomless abyss going to the most horrifying place on earth, right? And the disciples are like, okay, let's do that, right? And Jesus, what does Jesus do? He goes to sleep. Time for a nap, right? You guys got this. Well, what happens? They're tr here they are, really brave people, okay? Some of these are fishermen. These are like, what's that scary, like, terrible jobs thing? What is that? Death-defying jobs, right? That's what these fishermen do, right? Whoa, you're a fisherman traversing the bottomless abyss. I mean, you know? So they're going to go across. They're like, okay, we got this, we got this, we got this. Well, then a storm comes up. Now, these things can happen like that. I've talked to people who've been to Israel, and they're always bummed out because they get to the Sea of Galilee. Half the time you get to the Sea of Galilee, and it's fine, and a storm crops up, right? And you're just, all, it's windy because it's in a bowl, and the wind comes through the holes in the cliffs. It's surrounded by cliffs, and you get a huge lake effect. Seven-foot waves are not uncommon. And people are always at first, like, bummed out, like, oh. And then they're like, oh, wait. I get to see what it felt like for the disciples. It's still very much the same. They put warning signs on beaches. Don't park your cars here. Evacuate. You know those ones along the rivers that are like climb to safety, right? That's what they have because cars have been swamped when the, when the lake overflows and people have had to scramble to safety. So there's places you can't park your car, you can't go even if it's sunny because like that, a storm could come up. So these guys know what they're doing. They're going across the lake. It's terrifying, but they're going to go and one of these storms comes up, and they're doing their very best, and they're not making it. This is probably a 21-foot boat, fishing boat, seven-foot waves. The waves are rolling over the boat. They are dying. This is the Bible says we are dying. They are failing, and this is the worst death any of them can imagine, okay? You know that now, right? This is the worst. What do they do? Well, they're freaking out. And Jesus is taking a nap. Have any of y'all ever been in a place where you thought, I'm going to die? I have. I was on a twin-engine plane, and one engine blew out. And we were doing a puddle jump, and the pilot had to says we're going to make an emergency landing in the middle of nowhere. The plane, because with a single engine, it pulls if you just got one. It's flying at an angle like this. I'm on the side that's down because <laughs> my engine next to my window is the one leaking everything and just kind of spinning like this. Let me tell you, I was praying. I was 22 years old and thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I did, obviously. Um, and the pilot's saying, you know, put your things away. We, we have to make an emergency landing. Emergency crews are going to be there. Um, people are freaking out. 
behind me, in front of me, somebody screaming, crying. I mean, there's, what's going on? You know, there's all this. I'm holding hands with the person next to me. I don't even know them. You want, you want to know what nobody did while that was happening? Took a nap. <laughs> nobody was like, in my last few minutes of life, I'm going to catch some Z's, right? And here's Jesus in the boat that's going down, napping. Now, think about it later, what that says for how we should be, okay? But stay with me on how we are, because we are all afraid of things. What are some of the things that we're afraid of? Did you know, I looked this up, a quarter of Americans still say deep water. So we're like, yeah, disciples, bottomless abyss, hate it, right? Other things that we're afraid of. You know what the number one fear of Americans? Death by snake, right? My grandfather, my papa, big, you know, engineer from A&M. He wasn't afraid of anything. If he saw a snake, I went to remember, he screamed the highest scream I've ever heard a man scream and ran and got a hoe and beat the thing until it didn't even look like a snake anymore. And my granny had to be like, you got it. Like, you, it's dead. It's, that garden snake won't be bothering us anymore. Snakes. Um, heights? Anybody? Heights? Yeah, okay, Heights. Enclosed spaces. We talked about going through Hezekiah's tunnel, and I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't, you can see pictures of that. I didn't know if I would do that. Um, roaches? I think we should add that to the list. It doesn't, ingrown toenails, anybody? I don't know. Okay, so those are the things that make the list of things we're afraid of. But usually snakes, roaches, toenails, um, heights don't keep us up at night. That's just the things we'll admit to. The, the really fearful abyss that yawns beneath us, um, that keeps us up at night, that makes us sweat, that we don't know how we're going to get through it, that has us freaking out is usually more like um, fear of dying, fear of losing the one that we love, uh, fears for our children, uh, feeling like we're never going to get out of debt, um, Wondering if we're going to have enough resources for retirement. Natural disasters, terrorism, you know, whatever it is, all of us know what it feels like to be in the middle of the night with a storm and the bottomless abyss and the pagan other side and feel like, I'm dying. Where are you, God? Or, I'm dying, don't you notice? that I'm about to die. Don't you care? And the amazing thing is that the disciples in this moment, they're feeling exactly what we feel, exactly what you feel, what you probably said to God. They shake Jesus awake and they say, we're dying. Don't you care? Don't you care? And the amazing thing is in this moment, Jesus doesn't say anything to them like, you're being stupid. He says to the waves, he looks out at what has them afraid, and he says, be quiet, be still. Silence, be still. Three words. Silence, be still. And the most terrifying thing on earth, the natural world goes, Whoop. okay, Jesus, you're the boss. And the disciples are like, who is this guy? 
is that even when it feels like God is asleep and doesn't care, maybe he just sees it differently than we do. Because God is powerful. God is powerful. God is more powerful than the thing you fear most. God is more powerful than what keeps you up at night. And if you are terrified, then you have to remember God who rips apart the ocean, who commands the seas. I love what Job says. He's in the midst of suffering. And he says, but God is powerful. If only God would listen to me. And God does. So he says, this is all the things I know that God does. And those are the edges and the whispers of the true God. Like we know that Jesus calmed the storm. We know God ripped open the sea. We know he can heal people. And these are the edges and the whispers of what the truth is. Edges and the whispers, the best things we know, are just a tiny fraction of the reality. You believe that. I want to tell you one more story. Um, this is from my time in San Angelo. San Angelo was my first church, and there are ranchers out there. When you talk rodeo, it's rodeo out there, okay? They're sheep ranchers. And I had a friend Um, I had a lot of friends who were ranchers, and I had one friend who went out with a rancher one night because coyotes were attacking the the sheep, and they had killed many sheep, and the rancher was going to go take care of that, right? So they're out there in the West Texas plains in the dead of night, and they're around a campfire. He's got his dogs, got the guns, and all these hundreds and hundreds of sheep. And the darkness and the night is broken by that eerie, terrible coyote sound. Y'all have heard it, right? Oh, there's nothing like that. It's eerie. So the coyotes start howling. And as soon as that first howl comes up, the dogs start, my friend said, the dogs bristle. And they start growling into the night. And then the friend, the rancher, took took a couple of logs. Oh, all the sheep. The sheep hear it, they've been asleep, and they all get up to their feet, and they're making nervous sheep noises, right? And they're just freaking out. The sheep are freaking out. Well, the rancher, the first thing the rancher did was to toss two giant logs in the fire. And my friend said the fire blazes up, and he looks around into the darkness, because he's waiting for the coyotes of death, right? He looks around in the darkness, and he sees hundreds and hundreds of shiny eyes all around He said, but the cool thing was that they weren't coyotes. They were sheep. That the sheep were terrified. They knew that death was stalking them. But they knew where to look. They were not staring into the darkness. They were looking at their salvation. They were looking at their shepherd. When the coyotes howl, or the storm rages, or the abyss opens at your feet, remember, first of all, the power in the boat with you. And don't you look into the darkness. You look at the shepherd. Okay? Let's pray. God, I pray that just like you taught your early disciples how to look to you when they were afraid, so too you would instruct us to look at you. Remind us that you are more powerful than the worst things, than the terrors that stalk us. And help us, Lord, when the dark night is filled with howls 
or storms or threats, to do like the sheep did and look towards you, our salvation. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. As a response today, I'd invite you to stand up, and we're going to sing our closing song. And if you would like to join with the church, come and find me. I'll be on the front row. Yeah, that was nice. Remember, my friends, no matter what storms are raging, if Jesus is in the boat with you, it's going to be okay. Amen.